Uh, This morning we will be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. So if you have a Bible, let's turn to Colossians 2. I'm going to read starting in verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. We read, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God had made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open, sh- open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let us pray. Lord, thank you very much for just this opportunity, Lord, to, to come and worship you this morning, God. We have a, a challenging in passage to, to look over, Lord, but one I hope and pray that will fill us up with, with joy and comfort, Lord pray just for wisdom and guidance as, as I deliver your message here this morning, Lord. I also pray for, though Pastor Travis is not here, Lord, I pray for him that you be with him as, as he also prepares to deliver a, deliver a passage to, to a church other than his own, God. I ask that you be with him, you be with their congregation, Lord, and also I pray that you bring him back safely to us and his family, Lord. In your precious name we pray, amen. You may take a seat. So up until this point, uh, Paul has, has praised the Corinthian church for their faith. Right? He has prayed for wisdom and he has prayed for understanding for them. And Paul has pointed to the preeminence of Christ. But up until this point, he has not yet given this Colossian church a command. And if you were to go back and if you were to read the book of Colossians up until this point, Paul, what he's done, he's he's spotlighted Christ as ruler of both old and new creation. We see that in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Paul, he's reminded them of God's plan for human history. We see that in Colossians 1, verse 27. And and also we see that Paul, he has showed that Christ is a repository of all wisdom and all knowledge. And we see that in Colossians 2, verse 2. So when we, finally, when we finally get to verse 6, we, we sort of have a summary of Paul's letter so far. And the summary, it, it shifts towards a, a, call of rep, a call of response because of what the Lord has done in their church. So this morning, we're going to have three main points, but there's a caveat here. The, the fourth or the third point, we're going to have four sub-points. So if I did my math correctly, that's, I think that's eight points. Um, but point number one... Point number one is be rooted in the gospel. Be rooted in the gospel. So let's look at Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. We read, Therefore, 
As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul here, he says, he says therefore, this is, he's finally giving this command, right? In light of who Christ is, in light of all that Christ has done on behalf of the people in the Colossae church, Paul, he tells them to walk in him and to be rooted and grounded and built up in him just as they were taught. If we remember in Colossians 1, Paul, he praised Epaphras for being a faithful minister of Christ. And if we remember, Paul, though he has not been to Colossae, he knows that they were under the care of a faithful minister, a faithful leader. And in the Colossae church, they have a solid teaching of what it means to follow Christ and what it means to believe in him for salvation. And to walk in Christ, to walk in Christ is not a periodic or a a temporary endeavor where you do it when it just seems fit for you. See, rather, Paul, he uses this phrase in the imperative form to receive Christ and to presently dwell with him. See, to walk in Christ is nothing less than be in submission to his lordship. To, To walk in Christ is to desire what the Lord has commanded and to uphold what he has decreed to be true and trustworthy. When we receive Christ, we, we don't just believe in his person, but more fittingly, we, we also, it involves a commitment to his teaching. He, see, Paul, he emphasizes, he's, he says, Christ Jesus has Lord. In a sense, Paul is echoing what he has already stated when he references Christ as, as the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation, back in Colossians 1.15. He he echoes what he says when when he describes Christ as being the head of the church in Colossians 1.18. And he's echoing what he's saying here when he describes Christ as being the repository of all wisdom and all knowledge in Colossians 2.2. As we have seen thus far in Paul's letter, the Colossae church is being challenged by an outside worldly belief system. See, as Christians, our responsibility responsibility is to worship the Lord in all that we do. We ought not to be fooled in thinking that we can be strong in the faith if we are not rooting and grounding ourselves and being built up in Christ. So what what does that mean? What what does rooting ourselves in Christ look like? And it's helpful, I think, to, to think of these words as being in conjunction with one another and in the context of a of a construction metaphor. See, when Christ is our foundation, we cannot be moved or shaken by the push of the world around us. Our lives ought to be fastened and shaped by what the Lord has done on our behalf. And Douglas Moo, on his commentary on Colossians, he writes, quote, Together these participles, being rooted and grounded, emphasize that believers can live lives that exemplify the lordship of Christ only by remaining like branches firmly attached to the vine in which God has himself to place them, and by continuing to allow God to integrate them like stones into the new structure that is nothing other than Christ himself. End quote. And we do this, we do this by earnestly seeking after the Lord. Right? We, we do this by digging into God's word and, and taking root by abiding in Christ as John 15 references. See, as we, as we love Christ more, we will learn more. And as we learn more about Christ, we will love him more. 
So this, this command given to the Colossae church is, is simple, but it's profound. Right? To walk in the gospel abounding in thanksgiving. See, the imperative form of, of walking in Christ, this implies a, a, a habitual and a continuous practice. Right? When we think of, of somebody's walk in life, we imply that person's habits, their thoughts, their actions. We imply that whole person. And so, sh- and so should we think of walking in Christ consisting of our actions, our thoughts, our habits? And Paul, he, he wants them, he says, to walk abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. Remember what the Lord has done. Right? When Christ, when he granted you salvation and he saved you from your sins, remember that was not something that was owed to you. See, we, we should live a life that is marked by thankfulness to God for what he has done on our behalf. So what do your thoughts, what do your actions, what, what do your habits say about you? Are you living a life that is rooted and grounded in Christ? Point number two, seek after truth. Seek after truth. Colossians 2.8, we read, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Remember, at the beginning of, of chapter 2, Paul writes to the church and he says, in him, in Christ, is whom are all, or is whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then immediately after he says that, he, he states the reason why he wrote to them. So if you look at this book, this, this church is they're, they're being challenged by false teaching around them. See, this the church, he's Paul's what he's doing, he's warning them to not be taken captive by man-centered philosophy. And, and philosophy really it just means here a system of thought. And being challenged and having a reason and having to reason through things is, is actually a biblical principle. So Paul's not saying that philosophy is bad, but rather to really sting them to guard your hearts. Be watchful of bad philosophy. Do you guys realize that what you believe is significant? What you believe reveals whether or not you are a child of the Lord. And Paul, he's saying, he's telling the church to be on guard, to not let these crafty wordsmiths deceive them. Just because somebody says something, or or just because we read something on the internet or in a book, does not mean that something is true. Paul, he's making a distinction of of the human tradition, the elemental spirits of the world, and he Wisdom and knowledge that is given by Christ. Right? This, this human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world that Paul is referencing was a, was a blend of both the highest forms, or highest elements, sorry, of religion known to Judaism and paganism, kind of blending them together. Right? And, and we see that when he, sort of Paul in the Greek, he actually makes a little bit of a grammatical pun here. The Greek word for being taken captive and the Greek word for synagogue, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce these, but they're almost identical words. 
right? The, the church at Colossae is, is being challenged with ideas that they sound good. And they may even appeal to their natural religious instincts, but they're empty and void of the truths that define what the Christian faith and life and practice is. Right? Deception looks authentic. Deception tries to mimic as close to the real thing as possible. And as Screwtape said to Wormwood, old error and new dress is ever error nonetheless. This philosophy that is being suggested to them is in direct contrast to the gospel. See, where, where man-centered philosophy deceives people, the gospel is true and reliable. And, and where man-centered philosophy is empty and void, the gospel is powerful and it's transformative. And the question that we have to really ask ourselves is, is well, how do we know what truth is? How are we able to guard, to guard against the truth? And, and I remember my mom telling me this story years and years ago. But while my mom, while she was still in high school, she, she worked at a bank. And she was locked in a vault, and her job was to count, count the money. And she would handle hundreds, thousands of, of bills in a day. So the story goes as she was going through the motions of, of just counting the bills... She stopped and she noticed that the bill that she was holding in her hand after counting, it, it felt different. Right? It, it had a different weight, a, a different texture. And after closer inspection, the bill itself, it, it looked different. See, this, this was a counterfeit bill. And I know we've all heard of this quote here before, or at least variants of it, but federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits. They study genuine bills until they master the look of the real thing. Then when they see the bogus money, they recognize it. And Paul, in early in Colossians 2, he says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How do, how do we know what truth is? Well, we need to study and seek after genuine truth and genuine wisdom. Right? Like I said, what we believe is everything. What we believe about Christ is Everything. We need to have our minds shaped and fastened by what is revealed to us in his word. So going back to, to what the Colossian church is, is, is fighting against, Paul, he's warning them against giving into the idea that there could be something more or, or, or something better that may elevate themselves to a position of higher or, or even better worship. Right? And that sounds foreign to us, but if they were... To, to mix some of their practices with Gnosticism by maybe performing certain deeds or per certain rituals, they would somehow elevate themselves. And if we're not careful, we too may fall into the same trap that the Colossian church fell into. Paul, he tells us to watch out, to guard our hearts. If we are diligent, going back to being rooted and grounded, if we are diligent in being in the Word of God, then when we read something or when somebody says something about God or worship, we can compare it to what the Lord has prescribed. And you don't do that without being in God's Word. Right? Human philosophy and how we think are not sufficient enough to know God. Right? We need to not spend all of our time and our efforts trying to disprove or discredit what somebody has said. Rather, we ought to study the truth of God's word and the beauty of his gospel. Right? And, and Paul, he reminds the church of what the Lord has done in verses 9 through 15, which, which brings us to our third point here. 
And I'm sure if most of us have been going through the book of John, we could probably guess what this last point is going to be. Anyone want to take a swing? Yeah, point three, believe in Jesus. Point number three is going to be believe in Jesus. Verses 9 through 15, and this is where we'll spend, obviously, the rest of the morning here. But Colossians 2, 9 through 15, we read, For in him, this is about Christ here, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There's a lot here in these seven verses. But what Paul is doing, he's, he's arguing for how Christ is superior to the man-centered theology. Right? He, that, is, that is being challenged by, or, or that the Colossian church is being challenged with. Right? Paul says that, that Jesus Christ is God and he is above all things. He says that as Christians, we've been set us apart from the world and that the debt that is owed has been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ and how Christ, he rules and he reigns over all authority. Now, the reason why I want to break these up in, into subpoints here, because like I said, there's a, there's a lot to cover. And these subpoints that will give us will help us to guard against some of this false teaching and aid us in seeing the gospel displayed clearly. So, subpoint one, or, or we can do just do 3A Jesus is Lord. Right? Jesus is Lord. In 2 9, we, we see, for in him. Again, this is about Christ here. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of Christ dwells bodily. And then this is, a, this is a profound and this is a powerful statement that is made. This statement challenges other worldviews and other systems of thought. And it, claim, and, it, and it challenges the claims that are being presented to the Colossian church. Remember that the members within the Colossian church, they're being challenged to accept different acts of pagan worship or, 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 or challenging them to accept different rituals or deeds to get to a position of, of a higher authority and, and closer to deity. But Paul here, he redirects them to focus back on who Christ is. Right? It says, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells. Right? Christ is fully deity. Christ is fully God. No, no doubt that Paul emphasizes this, what he's already proclaimed in the chapter of his first letter when he says, in him, Christ, the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell. He's echoing what he said back in Colossians 1, chapter 19. Jesus is God who put on a human flesh and came to dwell amongst us and to pay the price for our sins. Do you believe that Jesus is God? 
When you believe that Jesus is God, your mind and your heart start to change. Right? You start to look at truth objectively through the eyes which God wants to reveal knowledge and wisdom to you. Any other source of knowledge or wisdom that claims authority is outside of God's revealed word is, is false. Right? In Christ and Him are hidden all the wisdom's treasure and knowledge. 3b, point 3, 3b. We read, Jesus fills believers. Jesus fills believers. Colossians 2.10, we read, and you, it's talking to, to the Christians at the Colossian, the Colossian church, and you have been filled in him who's the head of all rule and all authority. The members of the church, they're wanting to honor God in their thoughts and their, their actions. But Paul is just warning them, again, be, be careful from outside influences. The, the pagan rituals that are being suggested to you cannot do more to draw oneself closer to God. Right? And a belief system that claims that you can do something more, or if you just did this deed or this ritual... And, and, and draw yourself closer to God, that is a dangerous heresy we have to guard against. Right? Be careful if someone suggests to you that, that you can draw near to God if only you just pray hard enough, or, or donate enough money, or perform this task, or read this book. Right? You cannot add to Christ without, in fact, or in effect, subtracting from his exclusive place in creation and salvation history. He tells the Christians in the class that they have been filled in Christ. Christ is above all rulers and above all authorities, and it would not make sense for them to abandon Christ, to seek after that which has no power. See, This means that, that we don't need to seek some supernatural wisdom or, or power to gain some sort of, of, um, some sort of spiritual knowledge. Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is above all things, so we only need to seek after him and to guard against vain and empty philosophies and guard against that which speaks against what God has revealed to us in his word. Point 3C, Jesus brings reconciliation. Jesus brings reconciliation. And let's look at verses 11 through 14. It says, in him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, again he's speaking to now the members of the Colossae church, and you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, Paul, he's, he's shifting their minds back towards the gospel. He's, Paul has, has explained and argued for how Christ is, is overall rule and overall authorities. And, and now he brings up the, the concept of both baptism and circumcision. 
And we need to see this analogy of, of something being cut off and then being joined or grafted together by something else. See, Paul says that in Christ you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. See, circumcision was, was a sign of something being cut off or removed. But Paul, here he's not referring to a physical circumcision of foreskin, but rather he's referring to a spiritual circumcision of the heart. A, a separation here of the world and the body of believers. In the Old Testament, we see God, he selected Israel to be his own people. See, the Israelites, Israelites they were to be a nation that were to follow God's law and to obey his commands. And part of being an Israelite male, whether you were born into the family or, or came and, and, and adopted in, part of being an Israelite male was to be marked by circumcision. And this law was given to Israel to chasten them and, and to act as a deterrent for outward sin. Right? This, this law was given to Israel so that they would look, they would act, they would think, they would feel, they would be different from that of the rest of the world. See, God, he promises them that, that those that were truly his had not to be merely physically circumcised, but spiritually, a, a circumcision of the heart. And one of the proof texts here is, is Jeremiah 4.4. 4. We read in Jeremiah 4.4, 4, it says, Circumcise yourselves to Yahweh and remove the foreskins of your heart. Or Deuteronomy 36. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. This was a promise of restoration by the circumcision of the heart and is, and is displayed through a transformed heart. This is what Ezekiel says when we read in Ezekiel 36, 26, when the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take from you this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And, and we know this is what Paul is arguing for because in his epistles to the Romans, in, in Romans 2, 28 through 29, Paul, he, he writes, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is, a, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and, a cir- and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So just like Paul is, is alluding to a spirit circumcision, and this is something that, that people have debated over and, and how circumcision and, and baptism sort of comes together. But just like Paul is alluding to circ, uh, spiritual circumcision, he's also le- alluding here to a, a spiritual baptism. Right? The, the circumcision came by Christ, and Paul makes the analogy of, of baptism with that of one being raised up from the dead. Right? The 1689, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 29, regarding baptism, in, in, in paragraph 1 it states, quote, Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament, ordained by Jesus Christ. To those baptized, it is a sign of their fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, of their being grafted into him, of remission of sins, and of submitting themselves to God through Jesus Christ to live and to walk in newness of life. So baptism is a sign of their fellowship with God being joined or grafted together with him. 
Right? And it's interesting, if we think in the medical community, you think of, of a graft, it's, it's a, it's a, you're combining something together, right? So it's, it's, it's ironically, we're seeing this, this cutting off and this removal of, of, of foreskin and that of, of being joined and grafted together with him. And if we have trusted in the Lord, we should have this change of heart that Paul is describing to us. Right? Earlier in Colossians, he, he made the argument between once and now, once dead, uh, you were once dead in your trespasses, and, but now made alive together with Christ. He, he's doing that here as well. He's making that argument of the once and the now, the cutting off from the world and of the believers. In Christ, he has granted us new life with the forgiveness of sins because of the work that he did on the cross. Right? The guilt of our sin has been transferred away and that has been paid. Right? This is a theological term known as, as a penal substitution. Right? In, in a penal substitute, the, the penalty, the guilty party, must pay. But that, but that payment that must be paid has been paid by, by someone else, by a substitute. And, and when what we call a penal substitutionary atonement, Christ reconciled to sinners to God by being the substitutionary punishment. We realize that God, who we offended, paid that price. Right? The, the, one, the one that we infinitely offended, it is the same one that says the forgiveness that we enjoy in Christ is total. Paul says, he says, all our trespasses. Right? This, is, this is an IOU in which we pled allegiance to God. Right? And Paul, he emphasizes that the negative verdict that we have in verse 14 reads, the record of debt that stood against us. This was a negative verdict against us, something that we could never pay. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his hands we are healed. And in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, we read, But Yahweh was pleased to crush him putting him to grief. Right? This, this IOU has been wiped clean and has been removed from us. Right? Christ, he nailed that guilty verdict to the cross and he, when he paid for that ultimate price for our sins. Right? And this is what the third stanza from It Is Well captured this, this beautifully. Right? It goes, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. The debt that Christ has paid on your behalf is infinite. It is a debt that can never be paid apart from God himself sending his son, willingly and pleasingly crushing him on the cross. Do you guys realize that when, when Christ was put on the cross, it was the full wrath of God poured out upon him for each and every one of our sins. But yet it pleased the Lord 
to crush him. Right, point 3D. Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior. Look at Colossians 2, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We don't notice it in in this text here, but Paul, he's actually, he's making an illusion. When, When a Roman general, when a Roman general would go to war and win a victorious battle, there would be rewarded in the text here uses the word triumph and what we would would recognize the word triumph would be what we would call a parade the roman general they would march through the streets and people would honor them and, and celebrate their victory over the war and like in any battle there are both the conquerors and the ones who are conquered right? and, and the conquered they would also be paraded around the streets but they would be shackled and chained, falling behind the Roman general in an act of public humiliation. And then they would eventually be, be imprisoned. So if we think of that illustration, and it says that, that Christ publicly put them to shame. right? He triumphed over them. So though when Christ, when he rose, excuse me, when he rose victoriously from the grave, Notice he did not capture and parade around Pontius Pilate. Rather, Paul, he's making an analogy of how powerless the rulers and authorities are in comparison to him. Paul, he's making clear that God has removed any claim that spiritual powers or ritualistic exercises have over us. Right? And he did it publicly. It was on the cross that, that Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities, but it was in his resurrection and ascension that he put on and displayed the reality and the victory over the powers and the rulers. Just like the Colossians had false teachers around them, so do we. There are wolves and sheep's clothing around us that publicly proclaim from a pulpit, mind you, that to inherit the kingdom of God, you need to do various exercises. Right? Or, or perform certain tasks to find favor with the Lord. But Paul is insisting here, though, that by God sending Christ to be the atonement for our sin, the debt has already been paid. It is in Christ that believers share this authority. Now, this, this passage here this morning, as weighty as it has been, it's been about being rooted in the gospel, by digging into his word and, to, and building up our lives upon the foundation of his word. And to do that, we need to be careful to guard our hearts from the false teaching around us. And to do that, we can only know truth, or to do that, we have to know what truth is. And to know truth, you have to seek the one who has all the power and all the authority to declare what is good and what is holy, and what is right and what is wrong. We need to have our hearts changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh by the power of the grace, the love, and the mercy of the Lord. And the gospel, the gospel has the power to change your hearts. And it's because of what Jesus has done on the cross, I implore you, if you are not a believer this morning, to believe in Jesus Christ. 
Christ is Lord. He fills believers. He brings reconciliation. He is superior over all systems of thought. And if you have not come to the Lord and surrender, please, again, I urge you, come to him today. No longer be influenced or persuaded by the crafty wordsmiths around you that have nothing to offer but lies and vanity. Come to the Lord. Ask him for mercy, grace, truth. Ask him for forgiveness and trust that he has paid the debt that you owe. Be saved today. Let us pray. Lord, thank you. Again, just for all that you've done, Lord. Thank you for sending your son to, to pay the guilt and pay the penalty of our sin, Lord. We ought to be so grateful because it is a debt that we could never repay, Lord, but you were gracious and loving and merciful enough to send your son to pay that price for us, God. And as we continue to prepare your heart and, and to respond in song to what we've heard here today, Lord, I ask again that you be gracious, you be merciful to us, Lord. May what be done here today glorify you, honor you, and magnify you, Lord. In your precious name we pray, amen.